Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wazzas! Let's get fucking listening, baby! House, it's me. It's your man. It's your main man. It's old Walls. I'm back. Episode number 79. Coming your way. 79 episodes of Old Walls House. Uh, another fun show coming up. Um, before we get into that, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, thank you, everybody. I appreciate you guys uh, just you know hanging out, coming, watching, listening, being supportive. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate you so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. As always, going to do the little housekeeping here. If you could, please rate, review, comment, share, subscribe. Um, let people know. Old Walls House. Check it out. Uh, fun show coming up. Uh, Big E, Ethan E. Sexton coming in to talk to us. A little uh, mid-season MLB check-in for us here. Kind of talk about what's happened so far in the season. What we should maybe look for going forward. And uh, hand out some awards. Uh, so fun show coming up, but uh, before we get to that, you know, it's summertime, ladies and gentlemen, and it is a perfect time to talk about Liquid IV. It's summertime. It's hot. I'm out on the golf course. Maybe some people are going to festivals. I'm not much of a festival guy, but, you know, if you are going to be out there, uh, Liquid IV, one stick, you get five essential vitamins, two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning, before a workout, before you go play golf, before a long day of boozing. Maybe you want to get a little extra in there. Um, Very efficient flying. If you're flying, use it. I like it. Uh, I'm a Concord grape guy. It's easy. You fill up your water. You dump it in. Um, Every morning, that's how I start. They got a lot of other flavors. Uh, A couple new ones, sea berry and strawberry lemonade to go with Concord grape, lemon, lime, pina colada, tropical punch, watermelon, strawberry, passion fruit, guava and i see berry how can you how can it be good how can it be bad uh one stick liquid iv 16 ounces of water two times the hydration uh two times faster than water alone we just mentioned some of the flavors five essential vitamins b3 b5 b6 b12 and some vitamin three three times the electrolytes of a traditional sports drink made with premium ingredients non-gmo free from gluten dairy and soy and uh, they believe equitable access to clean and abundant water is a foundation of a healthier world. So if you want 20% off, go to liquidiv.com or better yet, click on the link in my show notes and use promo code OWH. That's OWH for Old Walls House, people. I'll spell it out for you. And that's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code OWH at liquidhyvee.com or in the link below in the show notes. All right, let's get to the show. Joining me now, OWH contributing baseball editor here, Ethan E. Sexton. E, what's happening, my man? Wally, what's up, man? I feel like I've been here a lot lately. Just want to say I appreciate you, you know, trying to help you bridge that gap between uh, the end of football season and the start of football season, Uh, (laughs) throwing out some uh, topics, you know, to, to talk about. To get through the dog days of summer here, and I appreciate you uh, humoring me and putting me on the show. 
Absolutely. There's uh, there may be nobody better to get you through the dog days of summer when we're uh, into just the, the heart of baseball season than you, my man. So, uh, yeah, we brought you on. Talk a little baseball today. Uh, All-star break as we're recording this. Uh, All-star break is happening. So uh, no no games here for a few days other than the All-Star game itself. So just wanted to do a little uh, mid-season check-in with you, if you will. Um, and if you'd humor me, and we could uh, we could start with my Cleveland Guardians. Uh, if you've noticed, I've done a very good job lately. There's been uh, very few Indians uh, references. I've been uh, I've I figured it out. I am I'm on the Guardians train now. So um, what? Uh, why don't we start with them? What do you What do you got to say about them? We just recently. Got back to over 500 and then at, now at 500 and back in control of the division. What uh, what have you been seeing out of the Guardians? Yeah, I think uh, they're kind of doing what we expected for the most part. Uh, the one nice thing for them is they play in the AL Central where they are literally the only team that is at 500, let alone being above 500. There's no above 500 <laughs> teams. Uh, there's three teams. There, Excuse me. There's four teams below 500, including the Royals, who are. 39 games below 500, so that helps that they get to beat up on uh, some crappy teams in their division, uh, namely the Tigers, White Sox, and Royals. Uh, Them and the Twins, neither team's really been able to take control uh, of the division, so I think it's going to be kind of a a fight to the finish there uh, in in mediocrity. Um, But if you get into the playoffs, I mean, you got a shot no matter what. Uh, What I'll say about Cleveland is – they're kind of, they were kind of disappointing, you know, uh, treading water. Their biggest concern was always going to be, you know, what's going on with this offense. It's, it's just unimpressive, uninspiring. And I'll say basically this run for them has coincided with Josh Naylor just getting, uh, absolutely on fire at the dish, which is what they needed because, you know, Jose Ramirez is a legitimate superstar, a, a great player. One of my personal favorite players. I love, love watching the guy play ball. Got him on a couple fantasy teams, so that helps. You know, I always root for him. Uh, but he can't do it by himself. If no one else in that lineup is going to produce, uh, then they just won't pitch to him. Teams won't pitch to Ramirez. So Josh Naylor getting hot and uh, putting together a really nice uh, streak of games over the last month, month plus, uh, has really helped this Cleveland team because they, they truly do have elite pitching. And that can carry them, but you got to get some offense. Uh, so I know you've become a big Naylor fan, I believe. He, he's a guy who plays with a lot of passion. So uh, I think that's been key to them is getting another guy who can, who can kind of carry the load offensively. Yeah, it, and I, I did not think I'd be sitting here in July saying that I've watched since, you know, middle of April, early May. I've watched almost every Guardians game, which has been amazing. Um, the pitch clock, man. The pitch clock. I was just going to say, the, the pitch clock has absolutely changed the way I view regular season baseball. You know, instead of games taking three and a half, four hours, they're taking 215 to like 245. Yeah. And so like a, a Cleveland game for me, most games they play are in the East Eastern time zone. They start at 610. Like they're done before nine o'clock. It, it's phenomenal. Um, I, love but yeah. it. I love it too, man. Even as like a hardcore baseball watcher for years, like, yeah, give me a game that's two and a half hours long instead of three and a half hours long, and it, 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 it's a huge difference. Yeah, I watched um, – b- before I, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here, but I watched like an old clip of uh, Eric Gagne versus Barry Bonds, and it was like a six-pitch at bat, and it's like a four-and-a-half-minute uh, video that I'm like scrolling through Twitter and I'm watching, and I'm like, my God, like, I, like going back and seeing that, 
it's like incredible, like how much longer and like, obviously it's a way different situation than, you know, you're just run of the mill, like batter in the second inning, you know, Gagne is pitching the Barry Bonds in the bottom of the ninth and yep. the game's on the line, but still like Gagne is like taking like 30, 40 seconds in between pitches. And I'm like, Holy shit, this is such an improvement. Mm. And one of the main reasons I was, I gave it a try to come back to try and watch more baseball. And then a hundred percent, the reason why I'm kind of stuck around and, and been pretty faithful to it. Um, but circling back, yeah, Josh Naylor. And as Naylor's been hitting better, it's been amazing how much better Jose's been hitting. Because like you said, they have to pitch to him. Right. Like They can't just walk him or throw him shit the whole time. And then he, he he was definitely getting like impatient with the pitching earlier in the year. You could tell he was swinging at balls out of the zone, um, you know, even swinging at pitches in the zone that weren't really his pitch. And as Naylor's gotten hot, it's like Jose's gone right up with him. I mean, <clears throat> when when Naylor started his run, I think he was batting somewhere in the 230s, and Jose was, like, batting, like, 250. And now Jose's batting, like, 290, and I think Naylor's up above 300 now and fourth in the, the AL and RBI. It's like it's been a marketed shift. Granted, they've played seven games of late against the Royals, which has been nice, but. Um, it, it is, but at the same time, you know, you were they, the Guardians were playing their division teams, you know, their division rivals, and Naylor wasn't hitting. So him getting yeah. going has just been a massive improvement for Cleveland. And and I'm right there with you, man. As he goes, I think you know Jose's going to go, and hopefully, you know, like Andres Jimenez probably should be playing better than he's played. So maybe they can get one or two other guys going because. Uh, you know, one thing I just wanted to say when we talked about them is, you know, they have this elite pitching staff. They're eighth in uh, in Major League Baseball in ERA. They have so much young pitching that they're toying with the idea. I don't think this will happen because as they stay competitive, but there was a lot of rumors they could trade Shane Bieber because they're so pitching deep. I think after Tristan McKenzie got hurt, they probably won't end up doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, I don't think they should do that. I think that's something they could exp- explore in the offseason. Um, but they're eighth in team ERA in Major League Baseball, but they're 27th in runs scored. So maybe as the trade deadline approaches, can they add one more bat? Because they're only ahead of Detroit, Oakland, and Kansas City in runs scored. So even though Naylor has been playing a lot better and that's helped their offense, there's still you know a lot of room to improve on the offensive side of the ball for the Guardians. Absolutely, yeah. I think the two, I think two people I see that could really help is uh, Jimenez that you mentioned and Josh Bell. I mean, yeah. they brought Josh Bell in to be a bat like to, for that purpose. And it's, it, you, you've seen flashes here a little bit lately, but it's just not been there. Yeah. Him. He's, and, he's struggled. It just, it's, it's sort of been his thing is like, he swings extremely hard and he makes really loud contact, but he misses the ball a lot. And that, you know, that can really hurt him. He's only hitting two thirty nine home runs. Uh, he's been streaky in his history though. So if he can get on a hot streak, he is a guy that can kind of help carry a team offensively. Um, it's just, it's been a little bit disappointing for sure. That signing, it hasn't worked yeah. out exactly the way they would have hoped. Yep. Last thing. So we won't dominate this whole thing about Cleveland, but, uh, you mentioned Shane Bieber. He's been getting beat up a little bit. Like lately, it seems like he had a nice start to the year and then he's kind of come come through a rough stretch here. I mean, he just kind of got beat up by the Royals. I mean, nothing crazy gives up four runs. I think actually he only gave up three runs, um, but it's been coming in like single innings where he's given, I heard, I forget what the stat was. I think his was 
the game yesterday was the sixth straight game, not the sixth straight, but the sixth time he'd given up three or more runs in a single inning in this year in like uh, 14 appearances or something like that, 14 or 15 appearances. Do we think there's any worry about Bieber? Like, as you mentioned, like possible talks of shipping him somewhere, which I don't think will happen either, but like, you know, yeah, there, I, there seems to be a, sh- a shelf life of pitchers. I mean, you, you get a good run and, you know, he's been, I think he's only 30, but you know, I mean, he's been pitching in the le- in the MLB for a while. Yeah. He's actually only 28. So in theory, he should be oh, right. You know, in the first couple of years of his quote unquote prime years, um, he hasn't been great of late to your point. Uh, I think he's given up four earned runs or more in four of his last five games. Uh, so that's not great. The thing with Bieber is he's never had a very good fastball. And, and what I mean by that is he doesn't, he doesn't spin it. He doesn't have the spin rates or the elite velocity of some of the top, top echelon pitchers in the game, but his secondary stuff has always been really elite, great, you know, off-speed stuff. And that's kind of a Cleveland MO. Um, that was Corey Kluber was the same way. Um, and you know, Clevenger was sort of like that. Uh, Trevor Bauer was kind of like that when he was with Cleveland and that's how Bieber is. So that's, they develop these pitchers that maybe they don't have the most elite fastball, but they have incredible secondary stuff. Uh, but what can happen is if your secondary stuff kind of falls off a little bit, then you don't have a fastball that you can pump the zone with and get get ahead of counts, get guys out, and people aren't biting on your secondary stuff as much. I think a little bit of that could be happening with Bieber. Um, I also think that, you know, like last game against the Royals, I think he was scoreless through four innings. They tried to push him into the seventh, and that's when he ran into a little bit of problems. Um, so it could be a little bit of that, just leaving him in games a little too long. I sixth. Don't... He gave up the big the big numbers in the sixth. Yeah, so I think maybe pushing him a little too far, potentially. He is the ace of your staff, so you do want to get him through six or seven if you can. Uh, I think he'll be fine. It's just he's not... He's not the elite, elite level of starting pitcher. He is a very good starting pitcher, though. So yep. I think they'd be wise to keep him this year, try to win the division, make a push through the playoffs, and then maybe explore trading him in the offseason because they are pretty pitching rich uh, with some of these young guys. Yeah, I mean, last little thing here. I mean, BB's been great this year. Gavin Williams has been having uh, some good outings. Like, there's you know, They demoted there's Logan Allen, there. who was pretty good um, for yeah. the most part. And, you know, they have this guy, Daniel Espino, in the minor leagues who just can't stay healthy, but he was supposed to be the best of the bunch originally. Uh, the unfortunate thing is he's going to be out until at least the middle of next year. So they do have a lot of pitching uh, talent in the system and in the majors already. So they're deep. They're really good at developing pitchers. So Bieber could be on the chopping block. Um, I don't think it'll be at the trade deadline. I think it might be an off season move though. Good deal. Um, yeah, so we don't dominate the whole thing with Cleveland here, as I could. And now that I've now that I'm back into it and watch them all night, I could do that all day here. But uh, let's uh, let's talk about your team, the Phillies. Uh, a absolutely incredible, like what middle of June here till uh, the I think almost all of June. Yep. What were what they went through a stretch where they went what like twenty three and seven at one point. Yeah, and I think they still lost games on the Braves. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, man. You know, like the Phillies. April and May was like uh, it was like that get that meme where it's like you poke them with a stick and say you know come on do something I was do I was kind of like come on now boys come on you know like <laughs> let's let's go boys come on uh, and then June hit and you know Kyle Schwarber uh, that's his month man and he got hot and the Phillies got hot right along with him. 
they were all, they played great, and I have really no complaints about the Phillies right now at all. Uh, they've been playing awesome. They they won 13 straight road games until they lost on Saturday in Miami, and they ended up losing yesterday as well. So they lost the series. Uh, but they're 48-41. But, yeah, to your point, they're 12 games back of the Braves because the Braves are just incredible. I know we're going to talk about them in a second as well. Um, but no real complaints about the Phillies. Um you know they could be play. They they've been playing really well over the last uh, since, since June, like you said, uh, and I think they'll continue to play really well. Uh, Miami in Miami, it seems like has always been like a banana peel team for them, and Miami's playing well. They've got elite pitching, and they actually have some offense this year. So no shame in losing a series to them. Um, but the Phillies just got to keep it going. Uh, I think they're they're still you know one of the bigger threats in the National League. Um, and then if they can get into the playoffs, you know, they could run the table again like last year. So no major complaints about the Phillies. Um, we'll see what they do at the deadline. If they can add a piece or two, they I don't really think they need to add a major piece. Um, maybe like a starting pitcher that can just give them some innings, uh, you know, things like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where they're at and how they've been playing. So no major complaints about the Phillies. Yeah, just a, just a half a game back in the in the wild card. Um, and only what three and a half back of of Miami at the top of the wild card race, so uh, very very doable for them. A pretty tight wild card race right now in the NL between Miami and Milwaukee. It's only three and a half, five teams in there, so that should be pretty interesting uh, moving forward. Yeah, um, the one the one nice thing about them adding those uh, extra playoff spots is it keeps a lot of teams in the race and makes a, yeah. for a lot more interesting uh, races overall. Yes, very much so, because, you know, if not, you'd basically, I mean, it's tight enough there, but even San Diego's only six back of the wild card. Uh, So, I mean, you go to, you probably have to, Pittsburgh is at eight back, and, you know, the Mets are at seven back. That's probably a lot, but, like, that six, six and a half, like, you'd need some things to happen for the Cubs and the the Padres and the NL. Um, But then, you know, even... Even in the AL, Minnesota's only five back. Right. Uh, and, you know, it really – basically, there's only, what, four teams in the AL that aren't in it, and then, you know, five or six in the NL. I mean, you're looking at, like, 20 teams are still very much involved in playoff races, and it, it doesn't feel like there's too many teams in the MLB playoffs yet. Like, I don't think it's gotten that far. I think they found a, a nice sweet spot where it keeps teams involved without really watering down the playoffs. I agree. Yeah, um, I agree. It makes for more interesting races, keeps teams in it. There's still so much of the season left that, you know, like it's going to be an interesting trade deadline because like you just said, even teams that are like the twins are under 500, they're well within striking distance, not only of their own division, but the wild card as well. So it's going to be interesting at the trade deadline. Cause I think we're not going to see uh, that many teams that are looking to sell off pieces. So could be a bit of a slow deadline where we'll kind of see how things shake out. But, yeah, there's there's so many teams still within striking distance that it, it really, you know, makes for a, a, an interesting season for mo- most of the teams in the league. Yep. And maybe the most interesting team in the league right now is the Atlanta Braves, yeah. who just seem to be knocking the cover off the ball. They have a, a plus 147 run differential. That's only behind Texas, who has kind of gone quietly through this and Tampa Bay, who we're going to get to both of those teams in a second. But um, the Braves, the hottest team in baseball, uh, what what slows them down right now? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Honestly, like injuries or like some sort of unforeseen bad luck. I mean, this, at least in the regular season, this team 
is probably the best team on paper. I mean, they have this elite lineup with young, talented superstars at almost every single position that they've got locked up uh, for for the uh, foreseeable future. Uh, and they have this elite rotation uh, headlined by Spencer Strider, who we'll talk about when we get to midseason awards a little bit, uh, and a really great bullpen. I mean, it's just a complete team. Uh, they have done an amazing job of drafting, scouting, developing players, and they're seeing the fruits of that now uh, with guys like Ronald Acuna Jr., who they dra- who they you know scouted, signed, and developed as an international free agent. Uh, you know, Ozzy Albies, same thing. Michael Harris, they drafted. He's an elite. He's been having a bit of a weak uh, offensive season until this year, but he's an elite center fielder and won the Rookie of the Year last year. Spencer Strider was a late round draft pick that they developed and is now the nastiest pitcher in baseball, arguably. Uh, it's just a deep team uh, everywhere you look: offense, defense, pitching, relief pitching, closer. They've got it all. Uh, they're great, man. I mean, they have a, a league leading 169 home runs. They're third in run scored. Uh, they lead MLB with a 3.63 uh, team earned run average. Just an elite team, top to bottom, and uh, a dominant, dominant example of how to build a team. Uh, I hate how good they are, but I don't hate the Braves because, I mean, how can you hate what they've done? It's it's just been near damn near perfection of building a team, getting these guys to sign long-term deals making incredible trades uh, with Oakland uh, by getting Matt Olson before last season and getting uh, Sean Murphy before this season. Both those guys are all-stars. Uh, just kudos to the Braves, man. They, they've, they've done everything smart. They've done everything in an elite way, and they're uh, reaping the benefits of that right now with, with just an awesome team. If you're in a group chat with Slano, and you had to hear about him all the time, you'd find a way to hate him. I yeah, I, I could see that for sure. You know, Slando <laughs> getting on your nerves there a little. But yeah, the Braves, I wanted to say this too. The Braves have eight All-Stars, which is a, a franchise record, and they have three starters with uh, Sean Murphy, Orlando Arcia, and uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., of course. You stole a little bit of my thunder because I was going to say uh, over to the AL All-Star team, the Texas Rangers, seeing how about half the squads are made up of the Braves and then the Rangers over in the AL. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Rangers and the Rays um, have both kind of been slumping a little bit, both three and seven in their last ten. Uh, Tampa Bay had – did they just win, or are they still on their losing streak? They just won they, a game. They, they lost seven yesterday. in a row before that. Yep, they beat the Braves yesterday. Uh, I think with Tampa, it's kind of like they got off to that incredible start. And I think it was always kind of like, okay, they're going to regress off that pace a little. But this is still a really good team. Um, and, you know, we just talked about how the Braves do team building and all that stuff. Uh, Tampa's been a great example for years as well, because this team's always balling on a budget, right? Like yeah. it, the way that they get these discarded scrap heap players and uh, turn them into just like studs is just it's unmatched by any organization. I think um, you could talk about the Giants a little bit. They do something similar, but the Rays do it on such an elite level like Luke Rayleigh. Is just this random guy. He was drafted by the Dodgers, played for the Dodgers in 2021, hit 182 in 33 games played, played last year for Tampa, you know, played in 22 games is all, hit 197. All of a sudden this year he's hitting 270. He's got 15 home runs, nine stolen bases. And it's just like they do this with guys all the time. And they draft and develop pitching to an elite level. 
uh, kind of like what Cleveland does. You know, they've they've got Shane McClanahan, who's injured right now, but has been one of the best starters all year in Major League Baseball. They have young guys like Taj Bradley. So they draft and develop elite pitching like Cleveland does. And then they're incredible at developing these scrap heap players that turn into somehow turn into stud hitters. Luke Grayley, Yandy Diaz, Jose Siri, the list goes on and on. So while Tampa has been, you know, scuffling a little bit, uh, they're still, you know, first place in the best division in baseball. Uh, they're 23 games over 500. I think this is still going to be a really good team, even though they've come to the back to the pack a little bit, uh, which was probably always going to happen after that just incredible start they had. You mentioned the AL East being the best division in baseball. Kind of leads me to my next point. What do we think the most interesting division is going to be? This is we're kind of skipping our midseason awards here first, as because I'm thinking of it. What do we think the most interesting division is going forward? Um, the AL East also uh, has Baltimore right there, yeah. uh, kind of nipping at uh, the Tampa Bay's heels. Uh, Toronto seven back, so it kind of looks like it's more of a two horse race there. Uh, the AL West has some good teams. Uh, Houston just a couple games back at Texas. Seattle, like just outside six games back. NLE seems to be maybe the least interesting division. While there are some very good teams there, if the Braves, you know, just don't fall apart, there's they've got a, a huge cushion. And then, you know, the NL Central is a little bit of a two horse race, too. And then you got the NL West, which maybe looks like between that and the AL East, what, what I mean, sorry, that and the, uh, I'm sorry, the NL West, the NL West and the AL West, maybe are the two most interesting divisions. I mean, what are you seeing? Do you think, do you think there's any big, it's tough to predict obviously, but any big swings coming? Yeah, it's, it's so hard to say because we don't know what teams are going to add here at the deadline and kind of do things like that. But like, it's hard to look at the AL East and not think it's, it's, it's got to be the best division. Every team is over 500, uh, which I think I saw was the first time that's happened since 1993, I believe is what I had seen. Every team's over 500. The Orioles are really good. The Blue Jays are really good. The Red Sox are pretty good, even though they don't have the best pitching staff. And the Yankees, who pretty much get carried by Aaron Judge, it feels like a lot offensively, are somehow you know seven games over 500 and right in the thick of, the thick of things. And, like, all you ever see about the Yankees is, man, this offense sucks. Man, this pitching staff besides <laughs> Garrett Cole sucks, uh, which it kind of is true. Like, they're they're not great, but they're right there in it. So I think the AL East is just incredibly interesting in that regard because every team is, at worst, solid and pretty good um, in, in the thick of things, you know, in the playoff race. I mean, if the playoffs were to start today, they would have five of the six um, – uh, sorry, not five, three of the six teams. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, like, they're all going to be in the race, it feels like, down to the very end, at least in the wild card, right? So that's a that's a fun division to be a, a fan of. It's probably stressful because you never get a break. Like, uh, you never get to play a Royals or a, a, an, a, an Oakland A's, uh, which can yep. really help you pick up some W's. Um, every, every game is almost going to be like a playoff series as the, you know, against their division rivals, you know, as the, as the season comes to a close. So I like that one a lot. I think the AL Central's two-horse race, we kind of touched on that. Uh, Cleveland and Minnesota are pretty similar because they both have really good pitching staffs and offenses that are underwhelming. Uh, the AL West, I think, you know, a lot of credit to the Rangers. They went out and split, spent a lot of money. Um, 
before last season getting Marcus Semien and Corey Seager. They spent a lot of money this year on pitching. They got DeGrom, who's unfortunately out with Tommy John. Uh, they got Nate Eovaldi. You know, they added arms this year. So they've been splashing a lot of money. Um, but they've also, you know, developed a lot of good players. Adelise Garcia, uh, Josh Jung, who's a rookie of the year favorite at third base, has been awesome. We'll talk more about him in a little bit. Uh, the Astros are the Astros. They're still a really good team. They have good pitching. They still have that really good lineup. They're going to get healthy. They're going to get Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve back. Uh, that's going to help They're gonna them. They're going to cheat. They might. They probably will cheat again somehow, some way. Um, <laughs> can't let them off the hook about that. So, But they're going to be right there in it because they're still a really good team. They obviously won the World Series last year. And the Mariners have been pretty disappointing but have enough talent, I think, and elite-level pitching that they could go on a run. The one team in the AL East that you know we got to be worried about is the Angels. And it, it sucks because they have – the all-around best player in baseball in Shohei Otani because he is elite at pitching, elite at playing, at hitting, and uh, it's it's sad that we're probably going to have to see him not make the playoffs again. And you know, part of that was the unfortunate injury to Mike Trout, breaking his handmate bone. Uh, he's going to miss you know multiple weeks here, and it it just sucks. I mean, Trout, you know, he hasn't been as, as durable the last few seasons. He's still an elite talent when he's playing. Uh, but unfortunately, the Angels, they were looking pretty solid there for a while. The injury to Trout, Trout it it might be the nail in the coffin. I, they can probably stick around, but I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs. And then Oakland sucks, so we don't need to worry about them. <laughs> the NL, I think we talked about the East um, plenty. The one team, you know, the Mets, like, they've been one of the most disappointing teams for sure. This year, they have enough talent. They could make a second-half surge and be right in, in the thick of things. Uh, so we'll see what happens with them. I like when they suck, um, so I hope they continue to suck. <laughs> and the interesting thing is if they suck, do they become sellers at the deadline because uh, they would have some interesting pieces they could trade? I don't think that will happen because they have the richest owner in baseball. I don't think he's going to want to sell. I think they're And I think they're good enough they could kind of get back into things, at least to some extent. Uh, the West, you know, the Dodgers still the cream of the crop, um, but the Diamondbacks are right there with them. The thing with the Diamondbacks is they need some starting pitching. Can they land a starting pitcher? Uh, it's, I think we talked about this before. The Diamondbacks and the Orioles are very similar. They have these elite-level hitting prospects that are now coming up through, uh, but they both need pitching. The Orioles pitching has actually been surprisingly really, really strong this year, uh, whereas Arizona's, uh, they have Zach Gallen, who's a Cy Young favorite, uh, but behind him, they're a little bit sketchy. So they're kind of in similar boats, those two teams. But the, the Diamondbacks, a lot of fun, a lot of good young talent. Uh, they've been a lot of fun to watch and pushing the Dodgers all season long. Giants are not far off. Like I said, the Giants are kind of like the Rays. They have this elite level pitching. And then they're really good at identifying uh, underappreciated hitting talent. So uh, they're going to be a fun team in the offseason who could make a massive play for Otani. They've been trying to sign a superstar. They tried to sign Aaron Judge. Uh, they tried to sign Bryce Harper in 2019. They haven't been able to land one, but they could go ham for Otani. He would be incredible uh, in in their lineup. And the Padres, uh, along with the Mets, one of the more disappointing teams, uh, but a team that has enough talent and they've been playing better of late uh, to really make a run in the second half. So I think all the divisions are pretty interesting. I skipped the NL Central, I guess. Uh, that's kind of a two-horse race now with the Reds and Brewers. The Reds uh, uh, are like, to steal an NBA analogy, they're like the league pass team because Ellie De La Cruz is so exciting to watch. Uh, this just, guy, he was going to be the next thing I brought up, so yeah, go right, on him. Go right for it, man. Ta uh, give me the little intro on him. I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, it, all of a sudden I hear, like, 
he's got so much kind of like pop throughout, like beyond the baseball world. Yep. Like I listen to a golf podcast and they're like from Ohio. So they're all like Reds fans. And they're like, they're talking about like the guy, like on a golf podcast and like tweeting about it. It's like, that's like kind of like the magnetism he brings to it. Obviously what he hits the home run in his second, was it the second game he played or was it his first? I think it was the second game, and it was second. an absolute bomb. But the first game, yep. I think he, like, laced a double, and he got to second base in, like, three seconds or something crazy. Yep. And, like... and then he uh, hits for the cycle, and then he's he steals three bases in the same inning. like Including you home. Know, th- yeah. Including home, well, and third and home almost in the same yeah. kind of, like, motion. Like, the guy's incredible. Like, I, I will say this, like, just to be the skeptic, um, about the Reds in general, they're they have a nine run to the negative run differential. Not not that the team in second place in the division is any better. The the Brewers are thirteen to the to the negative. Um, so I don't know if like the Reds are built to last, but it De La Cruz like you see this sometimes. Like rookies come up and they have a lot of early success, and then like the pitching kind of figures them out a little bit. Yep. Is there like just to be the skeptic? Like, is there the worry that that happens with them? Yeah, it could definitely happen. The Reds have been super exciting. De La Cruz uh, was this guy who really started flying up prospect boards last year uh, because he has five five tools: elite, especially elite power, elite speed. Uh, the one worry about him coming up through the minors was how much is this guy going to strike out? He was carrying a 30% strikeout rate pretty much at every level of the minor leagues, which is pretty high and, you know, can can be kind of telling a little bit of a worry uh, once they get to the majors. You know, it could spike even a little higher just because obviously the, the pitching in the major leagues is better than in the minors. No shit, right? Um, the thing with De La Cruz is he cut his strikeout rate by about 5% in AAA this year before he got called up. And he's kept that to this point in the majors. He's only striking out about... Uh, I just had it and I scrolled past it. Sorry. He's, he's striking out 29% of the time. So actually he's about in line with his career minor league statistics. Um, but the thing is like he, if he gets on base, a single's a double, right? Like he just turns it into this, he's got electric speed and electric thump with that bat. And he's just so exciting to watch. He's brought a lot of swagger to the team, a lot of energy. Um, and the Reds just have this young core of hitting prospects and hitting players. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz, Spencer Steers having a great season. Jonathan India was the rookie of the year a couple of years ago. Uh, they that that are clicking offensively, and their offense is, has been very fun to watch uh, pretty much all season, and especially since Ellie got here. And they have more uh, top level hitting prospects in the minors. The one thing that's the big question mark for them is how are they going to pitch? So they had two stud pitching prospects in Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Both are hurt right now. If they can come back, it'd be a major boost for them. Uh, They're going to need some pitching. So that's kind of the question mark with the Reds, whereas the Brewers are kind of the opposite. They have the elite pitching, uh, Corbin Burns, if they can get Brandon Woodruff back healthy. uh, But their offense is a little more suspect. So, But, yeah, the Reds are, you know, like if they're on and I don't have another game I want to watch, then then they're on. Or if I'm watching the Phillies, then the Reds might be on the laptop, you know, because especially when Ellie's hitting, it's just it's, it's a lot of fun to watch, man. Yep. All right, that's that's run through every division there. Uh, like I mentioned, we kind of skip midseason awards to talk about the future a little bit. Let's swing back to the midseason awards. Who do you? Who do we got? We're gonna give out. Uh, I think we said MVPs, Rookie of the Years, and Cy Youngs. So let's. Uh, why don't we start in the NL? 
Yeah, let's go uh, NL MVP. Let's start with, I guess, just because I have that on the top of my little notes here. Uh, you know, Acuna Jr., I looked up odds this morning. I think I used DraftKings. That probably varies from where, you, where you're where you going to get them. But Acuna Jr. is uh, minus 330, <laughs> so a pretty heavy favorite. Uh, not as heavy as we're going to talk about as the AL uh, MVP in a second, but uh, minus 330, pretty heavy uh, favorite is Acuna, you know, 331 average. He's got 119 hits, which is third in, in MLB, 21 home runs, 55 RBIs, 79 runs, which leads baseball, and 41 stolen bases, which is uh, second behind this guy, Estuary Ruiz, who plays for Oakland. But he's hurt, so Acuna's going to probably pass him uh, maybe by the end of the weekend. Uh, so Acuna has been an absolute stud. He's been incredible, uh, deserving of the favorite. Uh, I would say Mookie Betts is probably the the next closest. Um, he's plus 650, 276, 26 home runs, which is third in baseball, 62 RBIs, seventh in baseball, 72 runs scored, third in baseball. He's been really good. Uh, the cool thing about Mookie this year is he's played right field, second base, and shortstop. Uh, so he's played all over the diamond for the Dodgers, which has helped them kind of uh, fill in some holes uh, around the diamond. Uh, so Mookie's, you know, right in the, he's in the mix, but definitely uh, a far off second favorite. And then one guy I wanted to throw in kind of as a long shot, uh, at least in this MVP section, he's going to be a favorite in another section we talk about is uh, Corbin Carroll with the Diamondbacks. He's plus 3000. Uh, so pretty, you know, long shot odds there. Uh, but he's hitting 289, 18 home runs, 48 RBIs. He's got 26 stolen bases uh, and 63 runs scored. And he's been the spark plug for Arizona and a big reason uh, for their success. He was the top prospect on most lists coming into the season, uh, ahead of Ellie De La Cruz even. And he's kind of a similar guy where he has this elite level speed, great hit tool, doesn't have as much thump as Ellie, but his 18 home runs is pretty impressive. Uh, just having an outstanding rookie season. So he'd be kind of my long shot, but Acuna is definitely a worthwhile favorite and there's no signs of him really slowing down. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. Three good. I mean, and if I'm just looking at the, you know, the stats, the hitting stats, MLB.com. I mean, it, they're all up there in OPS slugging percentage on base, like all that too. I mean, as well as the other stuff, like they are far and away the, the, the cream of the crop in the AL and in the hitting department. So for sure. uh, I think you picked a, a couple of good options there. Uh, who do you like for, uh, for the Cy Young? Yeah. NL Cy Young, I think right now it's kind of a three horse race between Zach Gallon of the Diamondbacks. Uh, he's 11 and three, 3.04 ERA got 125 strikeouts in 118 innings. Uh, he's the favorite as the odds makers have it. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, who was awesome, uh, had to go on the DL just last week uh, with a little bit of a, a niggling injury. Um, so that, that happens to him pretty much every season as he's got older. He's elite when he pitches. Uh, he's got a, a uh, he's 10 and four, excuse me, with a 2.55 ERA uh, and 105 strikeouts in 95 innings pitch. He's been awesome. If he can come back healthy, um, a lot of times they'll put guys on the IL right before the All-Star break because then, you know, they don't miss really hardly any games at all. They've got almost a free week of the of this IL stint. So if he can come back pretty quick here, uh, he can stay in the mix. And then Spencer Strider, who's also plus 350, uh, pitches for the Braves. We talked about him a little bit when we talked about the Braves. Uh, he is 11-2, 3.44 ERA. But he's got 166 strikeouts, which leads baseball in only 104 innings pitched. So he's got 62 more strikeouts than innings pitched. Uh, the dude is like appointment viewing when he pitches for me because he is 
Such a stud. High 90s fastball. Disgusting off uh, slider. Like, he is nasty in every sense of the word. Uh, if I were betting, I wouldn't take Gallon as the – and I don't bet, so grain of salt with all this, just disclaimer uh, to the to the betting audience out there. Um, I would take Strider. Dude, dude is just has the nastiest stuff, the nastiest uh, strikeout stuff. And his ERA is the highest of the three guys I said, but he could go on a run where he dips that thing under two and he's got, he might push 300 strikeouts, which rarely happens these days. Uh, I would probably put my money down on Strider, even though he's not the out and out favorite right now at the break. I just think he's the best. He's the nastiest pitcher in baseball. I like it. A little dark horse pick here. Oh yeah. Not, not too dark horse. You know, he's tied with Kershaw for the second favorite spot right now, but I would rather put money on him than Zach Gallon, even though Zach Gallon's been awesome. Yep. Yeah, I mean, next best strikeouts, uh, 153. After that, 138. And uh, like you said, the those two guys have pitched 111, 115 innings compared to 104. So Yeah, I mean, just the, the whole, like, he's got 62 more strikeouts than innings pitch. It's just he's, he's like double-digit strikeouts every game. He's, he's just nasty, man. He's, he's a fun watch. Awesome. Uh, and then NL, uh, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I think that's Corbin Carroll. Um, we just talked about him as the – that he was a true long shot, I guess, um, for NL MVP. I think he'll get votes. I'm not sure he'll win unless he really goes off in the second half. Just Okuni's been way too good. Um, but NL uh, Rookie of the Year, I really like Corbin Carroll. We talked about him already. He's minus 300, so he's the he's a fair, hefty favorite. Uh, you know, Ellie – is a second. I was just going to ask, does he qualify? Like, he I will. know there's. Look. Yep, he will. So he's only played 30 games, but, you know, he's going to be up for the rest of the season. Um, he could go off and make a run for it. And if Carroll, like, really fell off, then I think it could be Ellie. Uh, he's plus 250 right now. He's in 325, four home runs, 16 RBIs, but 16 stolen bases in only 30 games <laughs> played is pretty impressive. Uh, so if he continues on that pace, you know, he'll be in the mix for sure. And then. Uh, I have a pretty long shot, uh, which I don't. I don't think this guy can win just because uh, he's so far back. But I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Walker. I think I might have brought him up when we talked preseason about some awards uh, favorites. This this was a guy who had the the most buzz coming into the season. I think. Um, I think even more. And it might be like I I, I do card collecting, so it might be I'm skewed a little of that because his cards were out selling, even Corbin Carroll and Ellie at the start of the season. I just want to bring him up. He's plus 7,500, so he's a pretty long shot. Uh, but he's having a really great rookie season that should be talked about more. He's just been overshadowed. 283, eight home runs, three stolen bases, 20 runs, and 25 RBIs in 51 games. So not at the elite pace of those guys that we talked about, Carol and Ellie, ahead of him. Uh, but just a shout-out to him. I mean, he got demoted for uh, for reasons that remain uh, unknown uh, after his first few games, but he was playing – great before his demotion and he's been playing great since he got called back up. So while I don't think he can win the award, I think he's a guy we should look at uh, in the future as being a pretty damn good player coming out of this rookie class as well. Okay. Okay. Good, good info. Good info. Um, AL MVP. This is probably the quickest discussion there we could have today. It's slam dunk Otani. It could be Otani every year. Um, I get that they gave it to Judge last year, and I'm not going to sit here and say that he didn't deserve it. He had an awesome season. It could be Otani every year. Otani is on pace for more home runs uh, than what Judge hit last year. He's hitting 302 with 32 home runs, the most in baseball, 71 RBIs, second in baseball. 
uh, and he's got 11 stolen bases even, uh, chipping in with that. And then, you know, on the mound, he's 7-4, 3.32 ERA, <laughs> 132 strikeouts in 100 in, in the third innings. So, yeah, he's minus 750. Uh, I, I would just bet, like... I don't bet, so I don't know if it's stupid to bet on someone at minus seven fifty, or if you just put a hundred bucks in and take the little bit of profit that you're going to get. But unless he gets hurt, he's a slam dunk to win uh, AL MVP. Or if he gets traded to the National League team, which we can't rule out, but I don't think the Angels are going to trade him. But yeah, he's the slam dunk at, at AL MVP for sure. Yeah, the only reason that guy doesn't win MVPs is like the only reason. Uh, like LeBron James and Michael Jordan don't win MV didn't win MVP every year in the NBA. Like people just get bored of voting for him and like let's look for the new shiny toy to like go vote for somebody else. Cause I mean, even if he has a mediocre year doing both, like by his standards, like he's still bringing so much to the table because yeah. he could be it, the MVP it, every year. Like we said, yeah. and like, you know, judge had that most home runs in, in American league history last year. So I get it. I totally get it. And I'm not saying Judge was undeserving, but just it's not really fair because Otani's a cheat code. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just to read off his stuff again 63 runs, 103 hits, 15 doubles, six triples, 32 home runs, 71 RBIs, 48 walks, 11 stolen bases. Just batting 302. Yeah. OPS over 1,000. Like, silly. And that's just his. And then he pitches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and then he pitches. Exactly. Um, yeah. Speaking of pitching, then uh, the Cy Young. Yeah, the I think, AL. I think this the AL one is a little more wide open. I jotted down five names. Um, the the leader, uh, at least in terms of the odds right now, is Framber Valdez at plus two hundred. Excuse me. Pitches for the Astros seven and six, uh, but with a two point five one ERA. 116 strikeouts and 111 innings pitched. Uh, the thing with him this year is uh, the last couple of years he's had elite ratios, elite ERA, elite whip, doesn't give up many hits, doesn't walk guys. This year he's added strikeout stuff. You know, like I said, he's over a strikeout an inning. So that's really boosted him up in terms of how great he's been this year is the, the added strikeout stuff. Uh, right behind him at plus 350 is Kevin Gausman for the Toronto Blue Jays, <coughs> seven and five. 3.03 ERA, but 153 strikeouts in 115 and two-thirds innings pitched, uh, which I believe his strikeouts are the most in the American League. Uh, yep. He's been he's been great for the Blue Jays. Uh, big strikeout stuff every time he goes out. Uh, so he's one to watch. Uh, guy we talked about in the preseason was Garrett Cole. He's third at plus 400, and he's just been Garrett Cole. He's been exactly what you would expect of him. Uh, nine and two, 2.85 ERA, 123 Ks in 117 innings. Just been an absolute rock like he is every single year. So he's right in the mix. Uh, we talked about Otani already. For the Cy Young, Otani's a bit of a long shot. He's plus 1,500, uh, you know, and I think that's deserving. He, his pitching stats are awesome and take nothing away from him. They're not quite as good as these other guys. Uh, the, yeah. the, the fifth guy I want to talk about is Shane McClanahan who uh, Clarkie gave us some shit about because we didn't talk about him. Uh, and rightfully so, you know, Shane McClanahan's awesome. Uh, so we probably, I probably should have brought him up before. Uh, he's He went on the IL with a little bit of a back thing uh, going on as well, but I don't think it's expected to keep him out too long. Uh, he is 11-1, 2.53 ERA and 101 strikeouts in 96 innings pitch. So he's been nothing short of elite either. Uh, he's at plus 850. 
So I don't think Otani will win the Cy Young at plus 1,500. So I think for more of a long shot, I like McClanahan, especially if he can come back right away, uh, right here after the break, and just do what he's been doing all season. He's a pretty good long shot bet at plus 850. Uh, but those four guys, McClanahan, Cole, Gossman, and Valdez, uh, as long as they stay stay right there you know, with what they've been doing, I think they're in the mix all season long. For, for Cy Young, it's, it's, it's a hard race to pick, I think, in the, in the AL for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, just if you just looking at the AL stats, like the pitching stats, there are some. You just look at the, the top of the, like the ERA and these you know, throw strikeouts. Like there are some dudes with some nice stat lines. Yeah, uh, across there um, that should make for a fun race to keep your eye on for the rest of the season. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I mean, there's even guys like you know like Pablo Lopez for the Twins. Uh, he's got 138 strikeouts and 111 innings pitched, 3.89 ERA, which is dropping every time he pitches. Uh, they got him in the Luis Arise deal from Miami, which has worked out for both teams, a rare like win-win deal. And uh, he's been elite, and he's like, I don't even know what his odds are. I didn't even look, but they got to be pretty low. <laughs> yeah. So the AL's got some studs for sure. Sweet. Uh, and then AL Rookie of the Year to round out the, uh, the midseason awards here. Yeah, I got three guys. Uh, Josh Jung, we talked about a little bit in the Rangers section. 280, 19 home runs, 56 RBI, 62 runs. Uh, been a key cog in the middle of that elite Rangers offense. He's been awesome. Uh, was a high draft pick. Uh, excuse me one sec, Walls. Had to clear my throat there. Sorry about that. Uh, he's, he was a, a high draft pick, and then he dealt with some injury stuff last year. Made his debut at the end of the year, and he's just been nothing short of phenomenal. He's a favorite at plus 120. Uh, Matsutaka Yoshida for the Red Sox uh, came over from Japan. He's a little bit older, uh, but not too old. Um, he came over from Japan. He's plus 250, 10 home runs, 44 RBIs, 47 runs, and stick, six stolen bases uh, for the 29-year-old outfielder. Um, what are your, what's your take on that? Should guys like Yoshida, it's his first year in, the, in Major League Baseball, but he obviously played at a high level in Japan. He's a little bit older. Uh, do you think he should be eligible? I, I don't personally have a problem with it, but I can see the argument either way. I, I do think it's a little bit, you know, uh, I can see it either way is what I'm trying to say. I definitely get the argument because he's not a rookie in the sense that like other people are rookies. But at the same time, I agree with you. I'm okay with it because like the MLB is the premier baseball league in the world. Like. Right. That, that I think that's what it all boils down to. Like it, it'd be one thing if he played, you know, if there was like a similar competing league and, you know, like the AL and the NL were separate leagues and, you know, they gave out all sorts of different awards and crowned their own champions and things like that. And then he switched over and be like, well, I'm the AL MVP this year. It's like, well, you played in the NL for five years. So like right. there's a difference, but like when, and while like, you know, Japanese baseball is, still very, you know, high quality. I, I equate it kind of like to like the European leagues in the NBA and compare it to the NBA. Like yeah. that's high quality basketball. And like they produce great, a great product and great players, but like it's not the NBA and the Japanese leagues aren't the MLB. Like it's, it's the best league in the world for a reason. It's because all the best players play here. So I'm okay with it. Uh, and I know you're going to get the argument every year when it happens. Like, eh, he's not a real rookie. And I get that argument, but I'm okay with it. I think he should still be considered a rookie. Like it's his first time playing a full MLB schedule and you know, he's 80 games into the season doing this. 
Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. And I think, like, the, the little <laughs> bit of a difference, like, I like your analogy, and I think I agree with it, you know, with, like, European basketball players coming over. I think the, the slight difference is, and it's just because of the posting rules with the Nippon uh, Professional Baseball League in Japan where they don't post guys until they reach a certain age. Whereas, you know, you'll see like Jokic or Luka Doncic yeah. come over when they're young, um, but yep, they've 19, also been playing, you know, like the the top level of European basketball when they're like 18, right? So um, I think that makes the difference. So, yes, Yoshida's 29, but I, I'm in agreement with you, I think, overall. It's still his first year in Major League Baseball, so he, he deserves to be in the rookie race. Uh, and then the third guy I want to talk about was uh, Gunnar Henderson who in preseason looked like he was going to be, you know, he, he was the odds-on favorite, I believe, for AL Rookie of the Year. He got off to a horrendous start, but has been great of late, um, really flashing the uh, top-level ability that everyone thought he would have coming into the year. So his stat line doesn't look that great. Uh, he's only hitting two forty-six, um, But like I said, he got off to a horrendous start, so he's been pretty damn good of late. But he does have 13 home runs, 37 RBIs. Uh, 43 runs scored and five stolen bases. He's at plus 300, so not a bad bet for him either, uh, especially considering he was most folks' odds-on favorite coming into the year. Gotcha. Well, you have hit us with a ton of information here, a ton of great stuff. You want to talk uh, uh, five minutes on the draft or not really? Oh, shit, the draft. I knew I was, I was like, rocking through. I was running through my head. I was like, what am I missing? I'm like, I think I'm everything. Thank you. Thank I, know you. Yeah. Up, I know we're taking up a lot of the time here. Nope, but. nope. I spaced out. I do want to talk draft. I do want to talk draft. Um, yeah, Talk to us about the draft because we, we were chatting a little bit before we started. The MLB draft's a little harder to understand. So walk us through that because, you know, and the other thing about the MLB draft, and I've picked some of this up. I think the MLB and the NHL are a little similar in this fact that like most players aren't coming to the bigs right away. As I've become a new NHL fan, I've had to consult with my, uh, my, uh, the, the Gordon brothers to figure out how that draft was like going to have, you know, how those picks like make the league. MLB is very the same, like picks, you know, you're talking three, four or five years sometimes before these things, um, you know, come to light, make it to the big. So walk us through the draft, anything that kind of was interesting and, you know, just how it works, if you will. Yeah, it's it's a little confusing, even to uh, even to me who follows baseball, you know, all the time. Basically, how it works is uh, teams get a pool of money, and each draft slot has a certain slot amount attached to it. So I believe I, I don't think I'm going to get this right on the head, but the number one overall pick, which Pittsburgh had. The slot allotment was like nine point seven million for the bonus for the for the signing bonus for the player. So what can end up happening is you can sign a player above that, you can sign a player below that, which then adds to the amount of money you can sign other players at. So if it, they had nine point seven million, say budgeted, but they got a guy for only nine million, that's seven hundred k they can then spend on another player. Or if they had to spend ten million. That's 300 k less than they would be able to spend on another player. So it kind of creates this interesting strategy where they're not going to take the like a, a player for need like you see in the NBA or in NFL especially, right? Because these guys are not coming to Major League Baseball right away. So they don't draft for need. They draft more for, for upside best player available a lot of the time. 
But that's basically how it's a little bit different is you get this bonus pool amount of money and you have to work your draft picks through there by negotiating with draft picks, et cetera. So if you draft a college player, like a college junior, they don't have as much leverage because their only real option is to not sign and go back to college. Well, if you're a first, second, third overall pick, you're going to get enough money that is it really worth it to go back to college for another year? Um, probably not. Whereas high school guys, if they fall down the list, even to the back of the first round, they may decide because these guys are all committed to, to top level college programs, right? Yep. So they have a bit more leverage where they can say, okay, I'm only going to get 4 million bonus pool money because I'm the 30th overall pick. If I go to college and come out in two years, I might be the number one pick and double my whatever, more than double my signing bonus. So it creates kind of a little mini game uh, where teams have to draft based off that. But it's definitely confusing, but I just want to talk about it a little because it's definitely different than NFL and NBA. Uh, but, yeah, the draft was last night. I just wanted to talk about the, the big five. So, essentially, there was a big three college players. Uh, it was Paul Skeens an elite-level pitching prospect uh, from LSU. Uh, his teammate, Dylan Cruz, who was a center fielder, uh, also of LSU. LSU won the national championship. And then the third big of the big three was this guy, Wyatt Langford, uh, an outfielder from Florida, who, they, who LSU beat in the College World Series yep. finals. Uh, so they were the big three coming out of college, the big three on pretty much everyone's big boards uh, leading up to the draft. They were joined by two high school players, Max Clark, and uh, Walker, oh man, I'm going to butcher his name. Walker Jenkins, I think. Here we is. go. I think it was Walker Jenkins. Oh, well, that's not a Walker fun Jenkins. Butcher. Walker Jenkins. Uh, so uh, two high school outfielders. So that was the big five. And the big thing coming in the draft was in any other, any given other year, any of these five guys would be a worthwhile number one overall uh, pick. Uh, they ended up all going in the top five picks. So nobody slid out of those top five. Uh, Pittsburgh had the number one overall pick. The thing with Pittsburgh, they've been stacking up on elite level uh, position playing prospects in their recent drafts, and they're finally getting these guys into the major leagues. So they have a pretty good young nucleus building of position players. So they end up taking Paul Skeens, number one overall, the right-handed pitcher from LSU. This guy, uh, the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg, uh, Consistent 100-mile-per-hour fastballs with movement, wicked slider, uh, and a changeup that he didn't have to use in college that much, but that is a plus pitch as well. Uh, workhorse, big dude, dirt, hopefully going to be durable. There's always risk with pitching prospects. I think it was a great pick for Pittsburgh, and the reason I think it was a great pick is Pittsburgh will never have the ability to sign a elite starting pitcher as a free agent because they're cheap, they, they're a small market, Yes, their their owner's cheap. So how are they going to get one? They got to draft them. Skeens yeah. could legitimately be in the big leagues next year. And Pittsburgh, you know, they've been playing better this wow. year. They're probably not going to make the playoffs or anything this year. They've fallen off that great start they had. But they have this young core position players. They need starting pitching. Skeens is a guy who could definitely debut as soon as next year. So great pick for them. Uh, I think it made a lot of sense to get get this potential uh, AC or rotation uh, because this is the only way you can do it. What's the average length of time it takes a top tier prospect to make it to the MLB? You know, your first or maybe early second round, like guys like that, first, second round guys, 
What's like the average time they're going to be in the minors before they make it to the majors? So it, it depends uh, if it's a college guy versus a high school guy. But honestly, we're seeing guys get to the big leagues quicker and quicker every year. Um, I'm trying to think what, uh, of a couple good examples. Like Bobby Witt Jr., who plays for the Royals, was drafted in 2019 out of high school, debuted last year. So it didn't take him very long at all. Um, Zach Neto. Shortstop for the Angels, drafted last year, was in the major leagues in May of this okay. year. So he was a college guy, so it didn't take him long at all. So I think that's one thing that we're seeing, and I think they made good points last night on the draft of because of the COVID year, where the draft only went five rounds instead of the typical length, uh, a lot of these guys that were high school players that would have got drafted in 2020 out of high school are now getting drafted this year as juniors out of college. And that they're going to make the major leagues a lot faster. So I think we're going to see guys get to the bigs a lot quicker. Um, and, you know, the same thing with the guys, the other two college guys I talked about, like Dylan Cruz and, and uh, Wyatt Langford. Cruz went number two to Washington. Uh, Wyatt Langford actually went fourth overall to Texas. So he fell out of the top three just a little bit. And it's going to be a, a, like a steal. Like I think Max Clark, who went number three, to Detroit is going to be a really good player. Going to take him a little longer because he's a high school guy to get to the bigs. But Texas is already competing. They're first in the NL West. And Langford could be in the bigs as soon as next year. Like, he could step into the outfield next year. And Texas, you know, you've got a, a team that's going to be in contention the next few years. To get a player of that caliber who's going to make the bigs that fast, uh, I think it was a great pick for them. It, it's going to be pretty cool to see how quick he gets to come up. Um, so he made it. I think Cruz... Skeens and Langford, if they don't have major hiccups, I think Skeens probably gets shut down the rest of this year just because he threw a lot of innings um, in college. Shut him down this year. Legit chance to break camp for Pittsburgh next year. He, he, he's, he is probably one of their five best starting pitchers right now. So I think he could break camp. They might play some service time crap, you know. Because um, what, but, if, they, if they don't bring you up until like what, like the middle of June? It doesn't count as a full year, like going towards yep. arbitration and unrestricted free agency. Yeah, there's different points where you can come up and you get extra years of service time, basically. But one thing that they did in the CBA to try to offset that is if you start a guy right away and he wins rookie of the year, you get a first round pick. The Mariners got a first round pick. Okay. 27 overall, I believe it was last night because Julio Rodriguez broke camp last year and won rookie of the year. So there is some incentives to get guys to break camp earlier. We saw the Yankees do that with Anthony Volpe this year. Um, you know, so there is some incentive. Hopefully they'll do that. So Skeens could legitimately break camp. Um, Cruz and Langford could break camp with their teams as well. Probably won't. Probably would see them more like midseason, uh, kind of like when Ellie came up this year. Uh, but three guys that could be in the big leagues as soon as next year. I think it's pretty cool. And then uh, Max Clark and and Walker Jenkins, who uh, it's going to take them a little longer just because they were high school guys, but two guys who have elite upside as well. So uh, really nice uh, big five. Um, I didn't know as much about Cleveland's pick. It was a high school catcher. Uh, the reports were that he's like extremely athletic. Um, so it might take him a little longer to get there, but sounds like some solid upside with him. And then I was really happy with the Phillies pick. It was a guy that this guy, Aiden Miller, uh, had the same injury that we just talked about with Trout, a broken hamate bone, uh, which kept him out of his high school season this year. But last year, uh, he was the best hitter by all reports on the uh, high school summer showcase circuit and was a projected top 10 pick. So they got him late in the first round, 20, uh, 20, 28th, I believe or 27th, I can't remember exact the exact number, uh, but I thought it was a great value there. So hopefully 
uh, he'll he'll rise through the ranks pretty quick. So just a little bit on the draft there. I've taken up an hour of your time, Wally, and uh, I apologize. <laughs> You're good. I still got another question for you. So um, yeah. with the draft, because I know guys can get taken right out of high school. If they go to college, is there a requirement on how long they have to stay for, what, two or three years in baseball, right? So I think it's it's mostly after their junior year. Then okay. they're draft eligible again. I think there are some exceptions, and I don't know the exact legalities of them where you can be a draft eligible sophomore. Might be okay. based on age. Um, might be based on reclassification. I'm not entirely sure, but for primarily it's going to be college juniors uh, that are going to okay. get that are going to be eligible for the draft. Perfect. Uh, e. Anything else? Did I miss anything? So, you know, I tried to cut us off of the draft there, and uh, you bullied me back into it. But uh, um, anything else we, we, we want to hit on? Uh, let us know before we uh, before we wrap this up. No, I, I think we're good, man. I just wanted to hit a little on the draft just since it happened last night. And, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting end of the season because there's a lot of teams in the mix. The trade deadline is going to be interesting because there's not going to be a lot of sellers, it doesn't seem like. So I'm wondering, are we going to see, like – strength for strength type deals between competitors uh, where, Hey, I'm deep in pitching. I need hitting vice versa for you. Let's make a deal. Um, like, you know, things like that. It, it could be an interesting deadline in that regard. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season and uh, you know, maybe we'll check in again before the playoffs or something like that. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely have you back on around, uh, around the playoffs starting. So uh, E thanks for, uh, thanks for being the baseball contributor here. So uh, much appreciate. I think I called you a baseball editor at the start of this. I meant contributor here. So, uh, you know, whatever. Fuck it. Um, Close enough, man. E, uh, thank you very much, buddy. Appreciate your time today. You're welcome, buddy. Thanks for having me on. And uh, let's chat offline about Mission Impossible 7 if you go see it this weekend, all right? Hell yeah, Pam. All right. Let's swing on over to the golf world. The John Deere Classic was this week. Uh, another birdie fest. Uh, Seb Straka takes it deep, deep, considering my man shot 73 on Thursday in a tournament where uh, the lead, I think, after the first day was like seven or eight under. And my guy shoots 73, two over, two over. Seb Straka was 23 under in the final three rounds. Uh, Go 73, 63, 65, 62. And the 62 was an out in 28, 28 on the front nine. Uh, he then made birdies on 11, 12, 13, and 14. Was, you know, banging down the door of 59. Uh, gets to the final final two holes, one of which is a par five. The 17th hole is a par five. Uh, man. And hit a decent head. He hit, uh, oh, no, it just shot me to 18 here again. I want to be on 17. Thank you. Yeah, he had a 10-footer for birdie on 17. Doesn't make it. And then rinse washes one on 18. And he was uh, at 23. I think he was, was he up five currently? But, you know, the, the, the final group still had plenty of holes to play. Rinse washes one makes double. Makes double, falls back to 21. I think it was only three. Or was it even that much? It might have been just back to two. Um, but Brendan Todd, the, the closest trailer, couldn't get it done. Couldn't, just couldn't find the birdies himself coming in. 
And uh, your man, Sepp Straka, brings home the W after starting the day, starting the week two over. Like I said, 21 under. There were two guys at 19, Brendan Todd and Alex Smalley. Adam Shank, my man. Adam Shank picking me up a uh, a win in the uh, my fantasy golf side bet for the week. That's always nice. Uh, is at 18. Uh, Ludwig Aberg, who's the uh, the rookie, also finishes at 18. A uh, nice shot from him. Had one weird. His his Saturday 71 was a little funky, but uh, a lot of good signs from that guy. I don't know if he's eligible for the Ryder Cup team for Europe, but he is definitely making um, some people think about it if he's not. I don't even know if he's on the standings. Let's let's take a peek here. Uh, Seb, speaking of Ryder Cup, Seb Straka, that win probably helps him out a lot. Let's look at the rankings here. Where does that move Sepstraka to? The European ones are hard because they could pull like three people from one list and another three from another list. So Rahm, McElroy, Yannick, Paul, Adrian Moronic, Rasmus Hoygaard, and Victor Perez are in the top six. Fleetwood and Lowry at eight and nine. Got to imagine those two are locks. Juiced Luton at 12. Tyrrell Hatton at 18. He's 18. Him and Hatton and Hovland are 18 and 19. See, that's the thing. There's like a different way. Yeah, world points. There's European points, and then world the, the top three European point getters on, so Rom, McElroy, Paul, and then the world points, it's the top three who are not. Hang on. God damn it. Three players qualify automatically from Europeans' point list, three from world point list. Does it start with the European, though? I can't. Fucking Europe. Weirdos. Okay, yeah, so they must go European first. Yes. So Rom, McRoy, and Yannick Paul are in from the European list. Then the world list, uh, Rom and McRoy are 1-2. But then the next three are Hovland, Hatton, Fitzpatrick. There we go. There's Fleetwood at 6 on that list. Seb Strzok is at 7. Shane Lowry's at 8. Justin Rose is 9. So, I mean, that's those are your guys who are playing a lot of golf. You know, Substraga plays a ton on the PGA Tour, as does Justin Rose, Shane Lowry, and Fleetwood now. So that's where those guys are coming in. Got it. Got it. That's why it's so much nicer for the Americans, because they just have one points list. And right now, Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, Max Homa, all in on qualifiers. Uh, the next bunch, Keegan Bradley, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Cameron Young. Good showing from Cameron Young this week. Uh, a lot of people would probably have him on the almost on the outside looking in. Because uh, you got to think Bradley's going just because he's right there. Spieth and Morikawa are good. So that's nine. JT's going. That's 10. Ricky Fowler's at 12. There's 11. So now, you know, your next pick again, this is probably... <clears throat> 
um, just me on repeat from the last time I talked to us about this, but you're talking your last picks coming from guys like Cam Young, Sam Burns, Denny McCarthy, Kurt Kitayama are there. Uh, but then you're talking Harris English, Tony Finau, Chris Kirk, Brian Harmon's been sneaking around. Sahith Sagala is 21. I don't think anybody under that is even in consideration. Your Taylor Moores, your Russell Henleys, Adam Shanks, Tom Hoagies, Eric Cole, Keith Mitchells. Unless those dudes are going absolutely apeshit, uh, they're not in. Phil has Phil is 32nd on the list from what? 21 wouldn't count for the majors. Interesting. Oh, because he duh, because he played well at the Masters this year. That's it. Okay. That's all. Um, yeah, so uh, golf coming up, uh, Scottish Open this week, and then the uh, the British Open next week. So, um, you know, the, the European swing of the PGA Tour, if you will. Now that they've added the Scottish as a co-sanctioned event. I, is it the Barracuda or the Barb? No, the Barbasol is this week in the, uh, in the States, and then the Barracuda next week opposite the British. Um. Yeah. Oh, Matt uh, and all their golf news. Matt Wolf and Brooks Kepka having a little bit of a, a war of words with each other about uh, uh, whatever team they're on. There's there's some there are some uh, some uh, what's the word? There's some fireworks happening over there. Brooks Kepka. I've basically given up on him. A lot of talent, but I mean the talent's wasted. When you quit on your round, you give up and stuff like that. That's not competing. I'm not a big fan of that. You don't work hard. It's very tough to even have even to have even like a team dynamic when you've got one guy that won't work, one guy that's not going to give any effort. He's going to quit on the course, break clubs, gets down, bad body language. It's very tough. Ooh, fighting words from Brooks. Matt Wolf responds. To hear through the media that our team leader has given up on me is heartbreaking. It's not what a team member looks to hear from its leader, and I think we would know how these comments should have been handled much differently. Quit being a pussy, Matt Wolf. I mean, it was the thing when he when Matt Wolf went to live. Is it like people were questioning, like, did he want to grind out on the PGA Tour, and like how committed was it to how committed the golf was he? So apparently, it's it's popping up over there now too. God, it's like it's why the team aspect in golf is so funny because like other sports, you have practice together. You can like kind of like you got some issues with somebody on a football field, like a little shove match, kind of a little fight. Somebody lights somebody up basketball. You know, you're right there. There are a couple hard fouls coming your way. Uh, I don't know how it works in baseball. You know, maybe somebody begs somebody. They're in the locker room together. You can kind of get on them. Golf, it's weird because you like you practice on your own. Even if you're like together, you're practicing on your own. Like what you do has no 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 effect on anybody else until you get down to like the competition. So it's weird, and it would be like those two to have a little bitch fight in the media. Um, yeah, I think that's all for golf. A couple more exciting weeks coming up here. Uh, over to some UFC stuff from the weekend. UFC two ninety. Um. A couple things. Bo Nickel gets another first-round win, this time not by submission or ground and pound. That was the stand-up knockout. Uh, Val Woodburn, hands Val Woodburn his first loss, I believe, or was Val Woodburn that 7-1 and one going into the event or 7-0? and oh? 
who knows? Whatever. Uh, not the greatest. I don't think he was the greatest competition, but uh, interesting. Uh, a new angle from from Bo Nickel. Uh, some stand up fighting. Uh, Dan Hooker wins. Drikus Duplice wins. DDP. I'm seeing everyone's calling him DDP. He's gonna fight um, Stylebender. Stylebender was screaming at him in the ring and dropping n bombs at him because he said he was the real African. So it was all very very odd. I did see that some like stupid ass media member tried to like the racial elements and uh, Dana White was like, wait, who was who was saying what? And they're like, well, Stylebender was saying that. He's like, who gives a fuck? That was pretty funny. Um, Alexandre Pantejo takes out Brandon Moreno. I'd have to think that was a little bit of an upset. Wow. Total strikes. Almost identical. 167 and 161. Significant strikes. Moreno had a few more, 147-29. Takedown seems to be the difference. Six for Pentejo. And then Alexander Volkanovsky. Third round KOTKO of Yair Rodriguez. More strikes, more significant strikes. Was 7 of 12 on takedowns. No even takedowns attempt for Rodriguez. What do you do with Volk? Like, where's he go from here? Who's in that? Max Holloway. Max Holloway again? Max Holloway fights in a couple weeks, I saw. Uh, a few weeks now. Gosh, how far out is that? August 26th. He fights, ooh, the Korean zombie. Should be a fun fight. But so, like, Max Holloway's the other, the other answer there. Have they, have Vulcan Holloway fought? They probably have. Max Holloway, I feel like, has fought everybody. Let's take a peek. Max Holloway. Records. Yeah, they just fought. Yeah, a couple. Yeah. And they fought two other times before that. And Volkanovski has beat him every time. Unanimous decision, split decision, unanimous decision. So that doesn't have a ton of appeal. I mean, does he just have to go back up and fight Makachev again? I mean, what else does he do? Who knows? Uh, so, yeah. So there's that. And then uh, a couple weeks from now, UFC 291, Poirier and Gaethje. Looking forward to that one. Really looking forward to that one. Uh, Jan Blakovich and Alex Pereira are on that. Tony Ferguson probably looking to get knocked out again. Bobby Green. Uh, Paula Costa and Ikram Al- Aliskrov. Hmm. And then Kevin Holland, uh, Michael Chizea. So, yeah, fun stuff coming. So let's uh, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's keep moving. What do you say we do some passing thoughts, huh? Well, let's start with this. Watch, uh, some, watch some good stuff lately. Um, Terminator 2. Watch Terminator 2 for the first time in a while. I don't know why it's taking me so long. What a great damn movie that is. Just absolute perfection in movies, maybe. I don't know, maybe not perfection, but pretty, pretty damn good. Damn good. It's awesome. And maybe, like, there's some badass scenes, like the chase scene, um, when the truck comes flying down into the into the ditch, uh, or the, the, you know, the aqueduct in, in there in L.A. or whatever they're supposed to be. I think they're supposed to be in L.A. 
um, the scene when they're in the uh, the laboratory and the cops show up and they're getting out of there. But and uh, the the bad Terminators in the helicopter. But my favorite thing, Linda Hamilton, she's one handed cocking the shotgun and then shoot taking a shot. One handed cock, bang. One handed cock, bang. Oh, just absolutely fucking badass. What a great movie. What a great scene. Um, they probably should have stopped there. There's some Terminators I've I've watched. I think I've watched all of them. I don't know if I watched the newest. I've never watched all of the newest one. I've watched, you know what? I'm going to say something that might be blasphemous right now. I don't know if I've ever seen one, like, start to finish. But I've seen two, three, four. I have seen four. I just watched five the other day. I've seen some of six. So, probably could have. One and two were probably the ticket there. Uh, also caught, like, the last 45 minutes of The Fugitive the other day. Talk about another great movie. Just mm, chef's kiss. Mwah, fantastic. Uh, here's my hot take here. I like U.S. Marshals. I think U.S. Marshals is a fun movie. I know it's not as good as The Fugitive, but I think it's fun. Tommy Lee Jones is back. Robert Downey Jr. Wesley Snipes. You're telling me you watch U.S. Marshals and you don't have fun. Come on. Get the fuck out of here. That's a fun movie. That is a fun movie, and I like it. Fugitive. Uh <laughs> Watched it with my mom. She goes, you think they lie about things like they do in this movie with them drug companies? You, you might say so. You might say so. Oh, sheesh. Oofta, oofta. Uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe the drug companies make things up and lie about things. They've only had a few different judgments against them for multiple billions of dollars for lying about drugs uh, that weren't supposed to have side effects that kill people. So, you know, maybe that's kind of true. Kind of true. Uh, also watch the first two episodes of the new season of Jack Ryan. Watch those last week. They were all right when I'm watching them, but I can't really tell you what's happening other than uh, they're trying to fix the CIA. That's all I got. That's all I got. Speaking of... I don't even know if fixing is the right thing here. Ben and Jerry's. These fucking people. Just make your fucking ice cream and shut up. So they tweeted on 4th of July. This 4th of July, it's high time we recognize that the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it. Learn more and take action now. And there was this whole slideshow. Yeah, there were people who lived here before Europeans came over. And then it became, you know, America and everything like that. Now, they made a big focus of the Lakota tribe out in, you know, the South Dakota area. And then um, focused a lot on Mount Rushmore, I think, if I can remember right. Well, well, well. Uh, apparently, Ben and Jerry's headquarters uh are on a tract of land that also belonged to a Native American tribe because everything belonged to somebody else at one point. And now they are saying, well then, if that's your if that's your standing, sell your shit and give us ours back. Uh, last I knew, Ben Jerry's has not responded to that one. So shut the fuck up, you woke losers. God damn. 
Chief Don Stevens expressed the tribe's interest in reclaiming stewardship of their lands and providing opportunities to uplift their communities. However, he clarified that the Nulhegan tribe has not been approached by Jenny Ben and Jerry's regarding any land restitution opportunities. Of course, they weren't. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these guys will stand up and do what they're talking about, but I doubt it. I fucking doubt it. By the way, yes, was what happened to the Native Americans, indigenous people, whatever you want to call them here, pretty fucking gnarly and pretty bad and pretty awful? Yeah, it was. But you know what happened back in those times? People wanted land, they took it, and they killed everybody. You can go back in history further than that, into Europe, into Asia, here. uh, Native American people did it to other Native American people, like... The past is a pretty ugly, bloody thing. So let's not stand on fucking ceremony here and just be assholes. Ben and Jerry's. Make me some ice cream. Be American. Like a donut triple cheeseburger that I saw with two donuts for uh, buns. Maybe that's why America, we're so fat. Might be. I don't even know what that'd be good. Would that be good? A burger with two donuts for buns? I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try. I could maybe, maybe check it out. Who knows? What else we got? Um, there was cocaine found in the White House. Somehow, some way, nobody knows how it got there. It's only the White House. There can't be that many cameras running around, can there? Nah, we don't know where it came from. They should put on a hunt for the uh, the person who brought the cocaine in there. Organize a hunt, if you will. See see where that cocaine came from. But seriously, how do you not know? You don't know. You don't check people when they come in there. There aren't cameras. Like, for real. Really? Really? Okay. Uh, I saw this online. Fourth uh, of July, I might have seen it. Top five... American sports moments in the last 50 years. The list. The Dream Team wins gold at the 1992 Summer Olympics. They win each game by an average of 44 points. Maybe the most dominant, probably the most dominant run in the history of sports. Uh, Jason Lezak completes epic comeback versus France at the 2008 Olympics. And it was to win the gold in some relay race that Michael Phelps was on the team. It keeps his race, uh, kept Michael Phelps' chance alive. And then there's the the famous clip of Michael Phelps. Ah! That was a good one. Uh, Brandy Chastain scores the winning penalty uh, kick against China to win the 99 World Cup. Rips off her shirt, is in her sports bra. Ah! There's becoming a theme here. Let's are. Ah! I remember watching that, I think. I don't know. Uh, George Bush throws out the first pitch of the World Series at Yankee Stadium uh, in 2001, not long after September 11th, throws an absolute strike, just a laser right down the fucking gut. And I, I, I tend to agree here. Number one, USA beats Russia in the 1980 Winter Olympics, uh, the Miracle on Ice. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. I'm 100% in on 1980 Winter Olympics, Miracle on Ice. <clears throat> also in the graphic, it had uh, Mike Piazza 
he hit a big home run not long after September 11th for the Mets. Um, and also just, you know, one of my favorites, the, uh, the moment that ended the cold war when Rocky beats Ivan Drago and gives the, everybody can change speech that, uh, that gets my vote for number two, in case you were wondering. <clears throat> um, played a couple of nicer golf courses here this last weekend. Um, me and my mom got paired up with, uh, you get paired up with randos. Like, that's the only catch. It's like, yeah, sometimes they're nice people. Like, got paired up with a couple of really nice guys. Then the catch is one guy stinks at golf. Stinks. Like, super nice. I don't like... Beyond, like, and that's the better option, I think, is if the guys suck, but they're just like, we'll keep it moving. And these guys were great in that sense. Like, they kept it moving and were very personable, very, you know, good to be with, um, had a good time. And, you know, then there's the other option. You can compare with people, just they're okay at golf. And then they don't really give you much personality wise. Like, I just rather. I know it has to be done. Rather, it doesn't have to be done, but you know, whatever. It's something you deal with. It's something you deal with. Um, let's end on these two thoughts. First of all, football is not far away. Not far at all. Uh, second, I uh, one of the guys I follow on Twitter. He's part of the the No Lane Up Crew. DJ Piowski was playing. <clears throat> uh, so ten of the country's top one hundred public golf courses are in Wisconsin. He was going to play all 10 in two days. Uh, one day he was going to play uh, Whistling Straits, the Irish course, and then the Straits course, which is the, the course they always play. And then uh, Black Wolf Run, the River and Meadow courses, and as well as the Bell. And then he was going to play two courses at Sand Valley, Sand Valley, and then Mammoth Dunes, then play Century World, Lasonia Links, and then Aaron Hills. So on day two... Day one, he, day two, where is that at? They played uh, the Whistling Straits courses, all four first, and then shot over to the Bull and played there. Now, on day two, they were playing both Mammoth, uh, both Sand Valleys, which are walking only, and then Aaron Hills at the end, which is walking only. Just absolute lunacy to play 108 holes. In two days, probably dude probably loses twenty pounds by the end of the fucking two days. Just absolutely nuts. What a what a two day stretch. So that's just incredible. So uh, that's sweet. W WSGA, if you want to hook a brother up, I'll do it in like you know I do it in five days. I mean, if you want me to do it in two, I can do it in two too. But if you want you know five days, hell, I'd even do it in ten. Just you know, really stretch it out. Enjoy my time at each. But uh, yeah. That that was really cool. So, all right, let's go wrap this thing up. Closing time, everybody. Uh, just want to say thank you to everyone for for checking out the show uh, as always. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for for listening and making it through another show. Um, that my, I just appreciate you guys so much for for coming along and you know hanging out with me and doing all this and you know on my journey. Can't believe I just I even jokingly said that. Uh, but thank you. I appreciate you guys. Um, thanks to Ethan, uh, giving us all the baseball knowledge we could ask for. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, thanks, as always, producer Kevin, for keeping the show going and keeping it rolling for us. Uh, remember, Liquid IV link in the show notes. In the show notes. Go find it. Click on it. And then for 20% off, promo code OWH. Uh, we'll be back next week. Plenty more to talk about. We'll find the most ridiculous things you want. 
Uh, so till then, peace. Uh.